You're listening to In The Bunker, a podcast that explores the biggest challenges in starting and running a business. My name is Joshua Maddox, and I'm an entrepreneur and business owner myself. I'm sitting down with business owners to talk about the challenges they face, the lessons they've learned, and how we can all grow from it. Welcome back. Today, we have Jason Gorman on the show with us. Jason was faced with the challenge of maintaining quality as his business scaled quickly. So many businesses, whether that is um, acquiring a new customer or a big new contract, oftentimes you need to scale up. Maybe that's 2x scaling up your team. Jason was faced with this issue during the COVID-19 pandemic and just as the world shifted. Jason has over 23 years of experience in learning experience. And so I want to dive in and just jump into this topic. Good to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah. So quality as we scale. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get a sort of a 90 second background. Who are you? How'd you get here? What do you do? What does that look like? Sure. I am the founder and CEO of Jackrabbit Learning Experience. I have been creating online learning, digital learning, hybrid learning, e-learning for about 22, 23 years. So before it was popular. Yeah. As it started to get a legitimate foothold in, in higher education, which is where my journey started. But I've, over that period of time, I've worked with just about every type of organization. Really my work ultimately is focused on helping each organization create meaningful transformation for their learners. And that's really going to differ between organization types, but that is going to include things like developing teacher training for through an Ivy League, you know, universities, one of our, one of our clients right now, right? They're, they're training teachers to be effective in the classroom. It's onboarding patients to use a medical device, personal medical device. It is helping a nonprofit organization train government officials all around the world how to integrate data into their policymaking decisions. So taking something that was formerly just face-to-face workshop uh, where they would bring people in from around the world and doing that virtually now. So we work with, I've worked with all kinds of organizations. And um, I started in higher ed and then my journey led me into other places. Now I get the, the wonderful benefit of working with all these other organizations. That's awesome. Yeah, there's so much to unpack just with some of those challenges. And obviously with COVID over the past few years, there's been so many challenges with inside of the education space, moving from a physical classroom to remote with inside of all of that. What one of the things that we were talking before before we hit record was talking through like maintaining quality, the team, the product that you guys provide a service as you guys scaled, like what did the company look like pre-COVID? I and mean, what does the company look like today? And what have those experiences been through that scaling process? So we have, so Jackrabbit's only three years old, just a little over three. So we're wow. still a relatively young organization. Yeah. Prior to the pandemic, we had, we were actually at that time just hiring really our first full-time employee. We had, I had been working with lots and lots of contractors, dozens of contractors until my hired, uh, my outsourced HR professional and my 
CPA got together and had an intervention and said, uh, you cannot do this anymore. So I, along with my partner, we had to really rethink our approach to hiring. So a big part of that is just hiring a core internal team. We still work with in, incredible contractors. And in some ways, in some instances, we act also act as a general contractor. We'll subcontract to other organizations that, that work with us to achieve the product goal for a specific client. So the kinds of challenges we had at the beginning of the pandemic were we were cruising along at a pretty good sense of what our book of business was going to be that year. And, uh, and what happened is that it just basically froze everybody in place. Everybody remembers, we all thought this is going to be uh, weeks, maybe it'll be months. Nobody thought we would be talking at the end of 2021 about still coming out of this thing. But at first it really just, everybody just didn't know what to do. And there was in my space, there was this kind of moment of emergency where I had somebody call me up and say, we have a client of ours, it's a university. They need to bring 300 courses online, like in a month, in a month, which is uh, bonkers. And what they really needed was we just need somebody to, to coach faculty and get the bare bones online so we, they can deliver some kind of course. What we do as an organization really isn't that. It's much more thoughtful. It's, it's more designed. It's more crafted. I think a lot of the things that parents have seen from their kids in their schools is a little bit closer to what we were being asked to do in those early days, which is to have a teacher or a professional or subject matter expert just doing the best they can with a technology like Zoom and some kind of website or learning management system that could host their materials. So at first we were asked to do a lot of that work, but then I think as organizations started to see that this was going to really become a long-term thing and that it was going to impact our business in a bigger way, we different kinds of things um, started to happen for us. And what was important as we started to see larger opportunities and in different kinds of opportunities, I mentioned the medical device organization company that we're working with. This is a large, a very large organization, as you'd expect. They needed to bring uh, a whole patient onboarding experience online, and they hadn't done anything like that before. And for us, this, that, that is a scale or a large university program is a scale that is significant for a company that's just a couple, just a couple years old. And there are a couple things when I think about quality at scale, that I think are really important. So one for us, honestly, was just really clearly identifying our core values and our core, our core focus, our core value proposition. And that seems like a strange place to start, but I think the reality is that a lot of our decisions and a lot of our direction came from a clear understanding about what we wanted day to day our company to be, what kind of culture we wanted to build here, what kinds of clients, who are the clients we could work with where we can deliver the most value, where we can be the best possible partner, we can give, create the best quality product. It's not everybody, right? It's just specific types of organizations with specific types of needs. So understanding that was really important and, and being strategic in how we grew and where we found business was really critical. And then the next piece is just having a really clear process. We are very big on process. We have a highly articulated process and the big picture it's five stages, but when you dig into it, 
we've articulated really ish steps within that process. And even within those, there are steps within those. And everybody within Jackrabbit and our contractors understands or is, is working to understand all elements of what we do, why those things link together. And I think between having an understanding of who we are, what our values are, and what we do and, and why we do it, I think that just makes it easy. It makes it easier to grow. It makes it easier to scale. It makes it easier to make sure that when we start an engagement, our client has hired us because of our process and because of our values. That makes it easy to just come in and do our thing. So ultimately, it was really about really writing those things down, not having them just in our head, but really committing them. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. I think uh, recapping some of that, like it's the planning element It is mm-hmm. what are the core values? What's the value proposition that'll influences the culture that makes sure that you're hiring the right people, that you're right. retaining the right people, having a clear process that everybody on the team knows what's happening rather than as a founder and CEO, rather than you being a part of every single decision-making conversation. I know that was a challenge for my business for a while to be able to have our team members. I'm not on every Zoom call. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. And these are oftentimes some of the things as business owners that we think, I don't have time for that. I don't Mm -hmm. have time to outline a process. We just need to get it done. Yeah. But if you don't spend that time to outline that process, what for you guys, what, what happened once you did outline that process? What was the shift? It's a few things. One is that we could talk about that process in literally our first sales conversation. Somebody doesn't know us or getting, they were referred in or we're having our first conversation. We're introducing ourselves within the first 20 minutes. We're talking about that process at least a little bit. And we've gotten very consistent feedback from our clients. That is one of the reasons they chose to work with us because they knew that they would be guided through something that we've done before. Nobody wants to be a guinea pig. Everybody wants to know that they're in good hands. And I think so that one really immediate thing is that we we get a lot of really great feedback from from the market, from our clients and partners, the people that we really want to work with. Another is that it really just reduces an enormous amount of noise that can happen in a project. So if you understand what comes first, then second, then third, and, and everybody's on the same page, everybody knows each other's roles. So those things have been articulated and written down. Everybody knows how and where they're communicating, what the steps are and why. There's just a lot of conversations that don't need to happen because everybody's already on the same page. And that means that you can really spend your time executing on the interesting creative stuff, as opposed to the wait, are we delivering this thing first or this other thing first? And what are our requirements for A, B, or C? Or what happens after this part of the process? Those things are a real drain on on creativity and never have a great impact. If you have a lot of that, it has a really negative impact on your final product. Well, and not only that, it also, if there's a lot of back and forth and maybe A, maybe B, maybe A type thing. The client also feels, am I the first customer they've ever worked with? Yeah. But in reality, you've worked with 50 or a hundred, but you've done this a hundred plus times. Mm -hmm. And when you have that process, the thing that for us, we've developed a process like that as well. And the thing that really is nice for us is let's say someone's building a custom house. 
And at the end of the day, the end result they want is they want the walls up and they want the roof on. Mm -hmm. So the contractor could show up day one, start framing, prop up the walls, get the roof on. But if they don't dig the footings, lay the foundation, run the electrical and do all that first, which oftentimes is all surface level stuff that no one ends up seeing, Mm -hmm. but it Mm -hmm. takes months potentially for a custom home to do all the footings and foundation and all that type of stuff. And and then maybe a month or two months in, then they start to actually finally see the walls prop up and they're like, finally progress is being made. And so sometimes for the clients that we work with, there's some of that process as well. It's, it feels like nothing's getting done for the first Mm -hmm. few weeks. Mm -hmm. And having a process process that also shows that the client can look at and go, oh, but we're doing this right now because that's used and makes steps three and four exponentially easier. And that's where it's critical. The client also trusts you more because it's a process that's worked time and time again, rather than flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. And I don't know if you see this in your business with your process, but I would say one thing that's definitely true for us is that we are, we have our process and in every engagement, we're also taking a really critical look and saying, we don't need to do everything in our process every time. That doesn't make sense. We, we need to really understand what our client needs and then we should be We should be taking a look at what we're doing and making changes where it's appropriate, where it's going to maximize the quality of the work that we're doing, the quality of our outputs. And that's a, right, that's a little bit of an art. There's a little bit of an art to understanding what can never be changed, right? There's certain things that we would never not do in our process, of course. And then there are other things that we're going to do, but maybe a little bit differently because this client's a little different than every other we've ever worked with. And I don't know, I think there's a little bit of a balance in that. Yep, absolutely. We had, or I think the other thing is also auditing and looking at what can you reduce maybe friction. And so for us, we had a PDF packet that we created ages ago. And what I typically would do six years ago is I would email it to the client. It was a printable PDF. They would print it off. Then they would pen and paper and they'd fill it all out. And then when I came and actually met with them in person, I would pick it up and we'd walk through it and we'd talk about it, talk about the answers and I would make additional notes and then I would bring it back to the office. And then when everything went remote, I was emailing the same PDF that Mm -hmm. wasn't fillable. So they either had to download the stupid thing and fill it all out, then scan it or take photos of it. It was just such a, there was so much friction. Hey, here's a seven page PDF with a bunch of business questions that you maybe have or haven't thought about that we need to, walk through yep it was already a little bit of a painful process and then you make it that much more painful by making the experience the user experience just terrible and so we actually about a year ago converted it to a basically google doc that's fully fillable we also ran into issues of oh there's three decision makers that all need to fill this thing out so they just Uh sent the pdf (laughs) to three different people three different people filled it out three different ways Hmm. and now we're like cool so Everybody has talked about a different color. Now we've got orange, blue, and yellow as our three primary colors, which from three different people, like that doesn't work. And so it's continuing to evolve that as, as we evolve as a business and as the economy evolves and the way we do business evolves. 
And I think that's a great sort of pivoting point aspect into, you know, what essentially the topic that you do when it comes to like you know, work is this learning experience. And it's that user experience aspect that we don't necessarily know what, we don't notice good user experience per se, but we notice bad user experience. Undoubtedly. Yeah. And so walk through, what does that look like? What does that transition look like potentially for a organization or walking through fixing that experience? You know, it's an interesting thing with user experience design and learning design, and there are all of these wonderful experience practices that have grown up. I think what is very tricky about practicing them, especially as a service organization, is that everybody has been in a classroom. Everybody, everybody has an experience with education. Oftentimes it's a bad experience. If I go to a website and it doesn't work for me, I know that it doesn't work for me. I'm not a UI designer, so I'm not going to be great at figuring out exactly what's wrong. We might have a pretty good idea because it's adjacent to what we do, but the thing about learning experience design is that people, when they think about their experience, they think about the content they learned and they think about the teacher they had. And I think the, the thing that's important to what we do is thinking about learning. The content is essential. Of course, you can't have learning without content, but learning experience design really starts with context. Who is the learner? What exactly do they need? What's important in their lives? What are they trying to achieve? What are they struggling with? What do they want? What are their goals? The content is a tool to reach the goal. Okay. The goal ultimately is the focus. You know, the change that the learner wants to see in themselves, that's the focus. That's very different than saying, we need to teach this content. We need to make sure that people remember these things. And actually I have a master's degree in instructional design and I started out as an instructional designer. Instructional design, I would just say, is a little bit more focused on content and how to help people understand and remember content, how to, how to use it. As I moved through my career, I started to see that there were some real shortcomings to this approach because there's this bigger, there's this bigger context we always have to think about. When you think about learning something, some of the questions we need to ask about context and that we do ask about context are, what are those person's prior experiences? What was important to them? What led them to this point? If they're coming into this through an organization, what were the marketing messages they heard to come into the organization and, and to start learning here? If they're an internal employee and they're learning something to improve their performance, what happens if their performance is, is improved? How does it improve the outcomes of the business? How does it important, you know, have a positive impact in the business? How does that help that individual in their career? How does it help them advance where they are? How does that match up to their aspirations? And then there are other kind of layers of context as well. There's a technology context. So we're all, we're talking about online learning. What does that environment look like? And every technology will have its things that it does well and things that it doesn't do so well and things that it doesn't do at all. And working within that context and maximizing the affordances, you know, what a technology does, that's important. Maximizing what the organization wants. We always work with our clients. We don't work directly with learners. We do in the development of, of products, but our clients are organizations. 
clients have their own key performance indicators, their own organizational goals. How do we make sure that those organizational goals are also being accurately reflected in the learning experience? It's kind of like an onion, right? At the center, you do have the learner. The thing that they need is really critical. And then around that, you have to consider all of these layers, these other things that go into what's important that has to happen in order for them to, to get to where they need to go. And some of those things are constraints. Some of those are opportunities. And this isn't necessarily just an attitude change from content first to learner first. It really, when you start to think about these different layers, it actually affects that process that we were talking about. It goes right to the process. The process of designing to deliver content is just absolutely not the same as the process for designing a great experience as a learner. So a great experience, it might mean that you are, let's take a, let's take a really straightforward example. You're starting work at an organization. Say there's an onboarding training. If you're taking a content first approach, you're just saying, here are all the places you log in. Here's what you need to do, right? Here are our policies and procedures. Here's our handbook. But an experience might be, what are, the, what are the things of value you're bringing with you? How is that going to impact us? How can you articulate that to your new coworkers so they understand your background in a way that you can have a deep relationship and, and do deep work from the beginning, where you can be adding value in a way that only you can add value from the very beginning. That's just a very different kind of thing. How can we get you involved in the culture where you're engaged and you're adding back into it as soon as possible? That's just different than getting information. So learning experience design is really just the balance of, for us, it's really consulting, it's design and it's production. And, uh, and it's really focused on this kind of broader superset of things that, uh, that enable somebody to have a transformative experience. That's really good. Yeah, I like the aspect of the onboarding. Obviously, you guys work with higher education, you work with, mm -hmm. you know, companies, you work with nonprofits, you know, there's all different spectrums of this. And when I first saw the company name and thinking learning, I was like, oh, okay, higher education. And I was like, oh, no, it's not just that. There's so many other facets where we learn. My team learns every day by the internet changing and we all learn just on a regular basis because new things happen. We all had to learn Zoom in 2020 if you weren't using it at that point. And I think it's interesting to think about from an onboarding experience, you're right. A company can provide a PDF doc with all those bullet pointed login portals and say, here you go, welcome to your first day. Or they can provide a experience for onboarding. I know there's a company called Valve and they make the, the gaming product Steam. They have an employee handbook, but it's the funniest PDF. It's got little notes in the margins and all this stuff that looks like the team passed it around and marked it all up and stuff. And that's really something I, I like the aspect of changing from content first to learner first and really thinking about how is the person who's going to be reading this interacting with it or absorbing the information rather than just here's the information they need to absorb and they can figure out how to do it. Yeah. How are they going to feel at yeah. the end of it? And somebody talking about maintaining quality as we grow our businesses, there is, there's no way you can't maintain quality as you grow your business. If your employees are not on board, are not bought in, are not engaged, are not interested in working with each other, are not interested in the success of your organization. Both of us know, probably everybody listening to this podcast will know that's just obvious on its face. 
and that experience piece is is something that I think honestly all of us think about all the time. We just we don't always have a have a name for it. And our business is really it's just really around building up a kind of a, a practice and a deliberate approach to being thoughtful about how those things are created. If a patient that's using a new medical device who might be scared about what it means to make that change in their lives, who might be depressed, how do you do that in a way that res- that respects where they're coming from, validates where they're coming from, but also provides an experience that helps them feel as though they're in the best possible hands, that they feel reassured and that there can even be a little bit of levity introduced into the process because because actually their lives are getting better. Those things are right. None of that's content. There's so many aspects to this when it comes to continuing to learn outside of just the education, higher education, K through 12 space. I think about when I was in college, you were talking earlier about oftentimes what makes somebody, maybe it's the teacher that made it good. And I do think about, there's a teacher in in college that I took stats and a friend of mine was like, take this one teacher. She's amazing. And it was because she thought about the students. Mm-hmm. and how they wanted to learn. And so we yeah. did stuff like she brought in a case of M&Ms and we talked about the statistic probability of how many red M&Ms are going to be in the next bag. And we did the math equations. Could she have done that by just putting a, a bunch of numbers up on the screen and just doing it that way? Yes. Yeah. But it was the actual learning. We went and stood, we were up on the third floor of the building and we went and stood out on the balcony for 10 minutes during a class session and we counted different people depending on if they were wearing hats or backpacks or long sleeves and then ran probability calculations and a week later went out and stood out there and checked our probability calculation and then did it again and those are elements that i remember because the learning experience was enjoyable yeah and i could have just sat and read a textbook and just wrote memorization and passed the test but I wouldn't have remembered the learning experience. And because I remembered the learning experience, I remember a lot of the lessons and how to apply them still. And it makes it so much more memorable. Yes, was standing outside for 10 minutes, counting people with baseball caps. Could something else have been taught during that time? Maybe, but would I have remembered any of it? Probably not. We're not, right? Yeah, I love that because we've all had those teachers. Hopefully everybody's had at least one teacher like that, where they can think back to that person and say, man, that person made a real dent in my life. Like I am a, I'm a better person because I was in their class because they really understood what I needed. They cared to understand it deeply. They made it a part of their plans and they created an experience that was, that, that felt good and led me to a place where I, I was applying what I was learning in a, in a better way. I was remembering it more soundly, felt better in the process. Yeah, that's a special thing when you get somebody like that. I think it's actually really hard, right? I think for most of us, that person is the exception, not the rule, unfortunately. I think applying a process to doing that correctly just gives us a better shot at having it happen because it just so infrequently happens on it on its own. You really need a master teacher, right? You need one person who just gets it deeply and is really committed to their craft. And that's a lot to ask of any subject matter expert. It's really hard to be a great teacher and be great in a subject area as well. Those are just, they're not the same skill. And so we're here hopefully to help organizations fill in this second piece around that experience. Before we wrap up, what is your maybe primary advice to someone who is really struggling with maintaining quality as their business is scaling? What is your sort of one piece of advice that you would give that person? I think you've got to 
you've got to really write down the things that are important to you. None of us can do everything. And so for us, writing down our core values and our core focus, our value proposition, they felt almost like a, we're a business, so we've got to put this stuff down on paper. We've seen, like, I've been in other businesses that have done this. I had, I was part of one that put it on their wall, walk in every day, come out of the elevator, you'd see there six principles or seven principles in the wall. And, but unfortunately, we've also all seen these organizations where they're not really, they're just said, but they're not followed. They're, they look nice. They look nice. They look nice on the wall. But I think if you, if you write something that's valuable, not just as a message, but also as a way to guide your decision-making, I personally, I find it when things are the most difficult, I find it really difficult to get Zen enough to make the best decision I can because I'm overwhelmed or I'm exhausted or I'm scared or if I can turn back to my values, but can turn back to our core value proposition and say, you know what, at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. Where does this play into this thing I'm trying to solve right now? I find it makes the decision-making process a lot easier and it makes the quality of decisions a lot better. Next after that is committing to the process. And I think it's writing your process down. The less, just trying to eliminate hard decisions by trying to come up with the answers before you're in a situation where you're not at your, maybe not at your best, not thinking most clearly. I, I think that's been great for us. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of good takeaways there and definitely stuff for my company as well that we've seen shift. We both connected through Tab and I know one of the members in our group, in our by Tab group has always said he has a to don't list. <laughs> and it's his list of things that he should not be doing. And he will literally look at his to-do list and go, I should not be doing that. I need to have someone else on the team or we need to find someone else to take that over. And I think as a business owner, sometimes we want to make sure that we have our fingers on the pulse of everything. It's hard to let go of some of that, but I think having your core values, your value proposition, and that process that you're a part of creating, and then hiring people who value those items and understand the core values and understand the value proposition means that they get your vision, which means you should be able to trust them and allow yeah. them to do what you hired them to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrific. And I, I learned something from you. I like the to don't list. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. <laughs> it's really helpful. It's good stuff. Awesome. Well, it has been really good having you on the show today. For those people who do want to connect with you or find out more about what you guys are doing, I'll have website, LinkedIn, all that stuff in the show notes. But what's the sort of number one spot where to connect with you? I know some people update their personal LinkedIn or their company LinkedIn or their Twitter account, or what's that best number one spot to follow you? Definitely LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. My personal account and the company account are good. Again, I think it's, it's LinkedIn slash in slash JP Gorman. And then the company's Jackrabbit learning experience. You can find me in both of those places. I'm, I'm easy to reach there and, and I'm in there a lot. Perfect. Awesome. And those links will be in the show notes. Great. Awesome. Well, it was great having you on the show. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Joshua. Thanks for listening to this episode of In the Bunker. 
As always, we can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at In The Bunker Podcast. Be sure to share this episode and what you're going to apply from it and how that can affect your business. Make sure to tag us in that post so we can highlight your journey as well. Again, thanks for listening. Each episode of In The Bunker takes a lot of work to put together from finding the guest, shooting, editing, all of that. And where I really could use your help is twofold. First, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or another podcast platform that can let you leave a five-star review or a text-based review, I would truly and greatly appreciate that. It really helps with the algorithm and allowing other listeners to find the show. The next thing that I really need help on is sharing this with friends, family, business owners, people that you think need to hear this content. I appreciate you listening to this episode and looking forward to next week. Take care.